It's a great comfort to me. You need to speak to your soul quite a lot. If you remind it what you know the Bible says, your soul will believe it. You have the Spirit of God in you if you've trusted the Lord, and the Spirit of God knows its own word and will respond with, with peace that passes all understanding. There is no understanding why God will allow you to be at peace when everybody else is running around with their heads cut off. But it happens, and uh, I pray that for you today. We're going to uh, spend, I think, the fourth Sundays I'd like to spend away from the book of John because the book of John is going to take a long time to go through. As we go verse by verse, it's going to take a long time. So I'd like to just uh, take the four Sundays and go other places. So I'd like you to turn in the Old Testament to 2 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look at chapters 18 and 19. This is also doubled in Chronicles. So the Kings starts with a tiny bit about Saul and then David, a lot about David, and then all of the kings that follow David, all of David's descendants, until uh, the country is taken away by, uh, by the Babylonians. Uh, when they returned from the exile, chronicles were written about the same material. So what we see in First and Second Kings, you're going to see again in First in and Second Chronicles, same accounts different writer, and so a lot of times when you read one, you read both to kind of give yourself some support. It's like reading the Gospels, where two or two or more writers are writing about the same event. You can kind of see it from different, uh, different camera angles. So today, the title of the sermon is a, a Peek at the Enemy's Playbook, because the same enemy that Hezekiah had is the same enemy that we have. Um, it's not really the Assyrians that's going to gang up on you. You're not really worried about the Assyrians. But I promise you that you will be attacked by the Assyrians. And most importantly, I want you to continuously tell yourself the truth. You, you, be, you tell yourself to be gone on belief. What you do is not simply make up a, a fantasy that you want to believe. It's not, it's not some kind of a fairy tale, something that you want to be true and you're just thinking happy thoughts. But you tell your soul the real truth. And part of the enemy's playbook is to make you doubt the truth and to divert you from the truth so that you're not sure, you're not comforted, you're not sure. Um, if you can get your opponent to be flustered, you've won. Okay, And so we do have an opponent. And Hezekiah, we're going to see, has an opponent. So we're going to be looking through 2 Kings 18 and 19. I'm going to I'm going to let the scriptures do a lot of the work for me. It's easier for me and more, and more better for you. So we're going to look at the whole two chapters, uh, and, then, and then we can talk about what we see. But we're going to let the real punch uh, be uh, the word today. It should always be. This is starting in, in chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea the son of Eli, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. 
He removed the high places and broke down the images. He cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For in those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nashushtan. He trusted the Lord God of Israel, so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave unto the Lord and departed not from following him. He kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even to Gaza, and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchman of the fence to the fence city. So we learn about the king Hezekiah. And I believe you most likely, I've never heard the, uh, a kid's named Hezekiah. I don't know what you'd call him, Hezi. I'm not even sure what the short for Hezekiah would be. But Hezekiah is one of the good kings. There's just a few. There's only a handful of good kings that follow David. You add King Saul whose heart was not towards God, and then you have David, and then from David you have a few hundred years of one bad king after another, where one king is more wicked than the previous king. And then every once in a while, God's grace shines down into his people, and he revisits his people and sets up a king whose heart returns to him. Well, we see Hezekiah is 150 years after David. So we're into the deep history of Israel now. And Israel has completely always been bombarded by their enemies, one after another after another. God had said, I'll protect you. You are my people. I will be your king. They essentially rejected God and went out for their own and wanted their own king so that the king could protect them. But when a king doesn't have a godly heart and he's your protector, it's like Daffy Duck being the, the captain of the, of the sinking ship that you're on. They're like, who do you trust? You don't have anyone that you can say, this person has got me, because who's got you? And this is the case with the kings of Judah. You also have to remember that the kings of Judah are called the kings of Judah, because in Solomon's son's day, the kingdom splits, and you have the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And the first king of Israel that had ten tribes with him and two tribes were in the south they didn't want everybody to go to Jerusalem to worship because it was politically bad for them. They figured if everyone was returning to Jerusalem every year, it would be hard for them to be the dictator of the country. So they set up their own idols. So for hundreds of years, the whole ten tribes served golden calves. I don't know if you have ever remember the golden calf, but they come back. And there's two golden calves set up so that the people can have God to worship. So what happens later and later and later is people are so far gone from the gospel that was once preached that really their, their religion was a superstition, just a superstition, something that they weren't, they weren't quite sure about. They, just, they knew they had to do some religious-y stuff, and that's all they knew. God sent the prophets to them one after another after another, and the prophets were warning, God is serious. Return to him, or he is going to, to put you in exile. And we see that in the years of Hezekiah, that the Assyrians, which is northeast of them right now, so northeast, and still the country of Syria now, Damascus is the, is the capital, the Assyrians were seriously barbaric, and they were very, very world powers at the time. 
and they come in and they completely annihilate the ten tribes. They take them all into exile. They wipe out everybody that is in Israel, and they take them away. And then the Assyrians are so big and tough that they start battling most of the area, most of the neighborhood, and they battle them and win. And they'll, they come against Hezekiah. So we've got Hezekiah in Jerusalem, and he's in a situation. Here is someone that really does love God. It's not one of the many wicked kings that simply deserve what they're going to get, and they get what they get, and it's just a disaster story from beginning to end. This is a person that, that any child of God can, can look at and say, oh, this is like me. I trust God. This is like me. I've worked in my life to throw out the rocks out of my heart. I've, I want to serve God the right way. I want him to be, I want to be accepted by him in Christ. I truly want to please him in what I want to do, in what I'm doing. I want God to look at me and be pleased. And then in that life, you still have trouble. What does someone like Hezekiah, like us believers, do when you have an opponent, when you have an enemy, when you're attacked? So what do you do when you're attacked? Do you put up your shields? Do you put up your dukes? Do you hire some thugs? Do you pay people off? Do you bribe people? Do you whine? Do you run and, and hide? I mean, th there are several choices that you could make when you're being attacked. And I need all of us to, be, to remember, you who love God will still be attacked. This is not God's unlove towards us. You cannot say God doesn't love us because I didn't get exactly what I wanted and have the perfect life that I thought I was signing up for. That God must not love me or God hates me or maybe I don't belong to him at all because I'm, I'm being treated ill when everybody else has it good. I need us to know that reality is that we're here, that we're, we're strangers in a strange land and God is weaning us from this world and he's using our enemies to do good in our lives. And the enemy of the devil in our life is God's blessing in your life. That wicked devil that will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever is your enemy. And God will use him in your life for your good. And you just must tell yourself, just like you tell yourself, be gone unbelief, the Savior is near. The same way that you tell yourself the truth, you tell yourself what God said is true that you don't like. And that is, even in the case of, of a person trying to be godly, you are going to be opposed. Now, how do you act? All right, so we're going to look into, into the life of Hezekiah. Now, when you have a case like here where a new king is introduced in the book of Kings, often they'll do this. They'll do a little snippet, like a paragraph at the beginning, and they'll basically tell you about the entire reign of Hezekiah. So you'll know his character. You'll, you'll not know detail, really, but you'll know character. So I see some of the things that he did. He cut down the groves. He cut down the high places where people were worshiping idols. He just said, I'm sorry, you are Israelites. I'm your king. We serve God, not in my country. I have an army. I'm going to cut down your trees. You want to go worship somebody? You do it under the house because I'm going to cut down the trees where you can't worship and burn incense to the stars and to Astra and to the goddess of fertility and who else that you've heard about on the internet. All right, I'm not going to allow it. So he cuts them down. 
Be mad at me if you want to. I'm the king. And he does. And he, and he takes it down. And he's so daring that he takes the bronze snake that Moses put on a pole, if you remember this. The people were being bitten by snakes. And God said, put the symbol of their sin on a pole and have them look at it. And if they look upon it, then they're healed. If they don't look upon it, they'll die in their sins because they've already been bitten. It's already done. And, and so they kept this snake. They kept it in the, in, wrapped in a cloth. And by this time, 150 years afterwards, of course, it had become superstition. Like very lots of, of godly things, it became just another superstition. And people burned candles to it and called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan, the snake, the god snake. As though somehow it's going to give us power or it gives us, it'll help us or it's a talisman or it'll help us do something. And he said, I don't care if Moses made it. I don't care if God used it in the past. If people are burning, if people are burning incense to it, break it in half. Throw it in the river, throw it down the well. And the king said, do it. And the soldiers just went and did it and broke it into shards and threw it away. Good for him. Good for him. If this church building ever causes us to, to worship idols, burn it down. Burn it down. If your most favorite thing in your life, the most treasured memory from grandma that you ever had is causing you to sin, break it off. If your right arm is, a, is or your right eye is offending you, pluck it out. If your left hand is offending you, cut it off. And he did. He cut it off. So this is someone who's serious. He's truly trying. And there's nowhere else in the Bible where any of the kings of Judah were said like Hezekiah. So Hezekiah, for instance, said the Lord was with him. It was the very first time since David that the Lord was with Hezekiah and that he subdued the Philistines. Subdued means completely conquered them. Nobody else had ever done that. They just lived with a status quo of do the best, you know, try to get by. Everything is make, do, and mend. That's what they're doing. But he actually had power with God. God was with him. So does it, doesn't being good count for anything? Why doesn't God keep you safe from attack? If you were, are trying your best and your heart is right and you're doing things and you've actually done things, showing your devotion, why don't you have a better life than others? Why aren't you held safe? From attack, Why would you be uh, jumped up on? You just have to realize that the reality is that this is the reality. And if you're believing a fantasy, you're risking being disappointed with God. And I think that is really what the sermon is about. The sermon is, if you are not looking at reality and you've somehow designing your own Christian life in a way that God didn't say is the Christian life, then you will be disappointed with God because God will not, will not do what you think he should do. And that's very dangerous to your faith to think that God, first of all, your little pity party that might last 20 years is bad for you. But also it's insulting to God. And it really is showing you that the trust that God has given you is really that Satan was right. Job serves you because you bless him. Curse him and you'll see. He'll curse you to your face. Like, let me touch this, let me touch this, let me touch this. And Jesus, God said, yeah, do it. Just don't, just spare his life. Well, you have to realize we live on this side of the Jordan River. And you must know that God will get you all the way to the end. 
and he's using what the attacks in your life to bring you blessing. But please know that sometimes your blessing has pain in it. It really does. But God will get you through it. Don't worry, little flock, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. You'll have opposition, but I've overcome the world. Okay, so let's see. Last thing I want to say about Hezekiah is that his dad was wicked, wicked. This is 2 Kings 16. So 2 Kings just goes through all the kings. And when we get to Ahaz, this is what the Bible says about Ahaz. 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not that which was right in the sight of the, of, of the Lord his God, like David his father. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Okay, so he was a king of Judah, walking in the, in the idol worship of Israel. Yea, he made his son to pass through the fire. He killed one of his children in child sacrifice, hoping for some blessing. He was like, okay, I'll just burn my baby. Maybe the gods will be nice to me. Right? That God was like, oh, that's never crossed my mind to ever ask you to kill your children. I want to bless your children. I want your children to live, not die. Your enemy wants them to die. But here's Ahaz, the wicked, according to all the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places on the hills and under every green tree. There's proof that God exists. Ahaz burned incense under every high tree, under every, every big tree, on every high hill. He worshipped the idols and taught his little boy, Hezekiah, to do it. Come on, Hezekiah. We're going up on this hill and we're going to do some a little bit fun stuff and you'll see some really good stuff and it's pretty wild. And I'm sure he saw the wildest of wild. And when he was old, God touched his heart and when he repented of his sins, he's like, no, 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 nobody else. No other little kid is going to see what I saw. No other little kid is going to watch their baby brother burn alive. No, not my, not my kingdom. I'm king. And he cut it all down. I'm going to return this kingdom to, to the Lord, in, at least officially, if not every heart. But I promise that if I can do what my part, others will, be, will follow. Some will follow and trust the Lord. And so he does. And the last thing it says is he stands up to the king of Assyria. We, we read later in, in Ahaz, later in chapter um, 16 of Ahaz, that Assyria starts rattling his sabers and instantly Ahaz just wobbles and says, Oh, king of Assyria, I am your son. I am your servant. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And Ahaz, the godly, said, <laughs> No. I'm going to say no. I'm not paying your ransom. I'm not paying what you want. You can just tell your, your king uh, back in Nineveh to, to jump off the, the roof because I don't care what he says. I'm not going to do it. Now, I, th I, I would love to pair those two together. When someone is trusting God, they truly can be brave. They really can be brave. It's not always, it doesn't always happen because we're, we're not in glory yet. We're not who we will be one day. And we, we see through a glass darkness, darkly, and I promise you will repeatedly flop on your face. So when Hezekiah's eight verses were, here's the reign of Hezekiah, it doesn't mean that Hezekiah was Superman. We're going to see that, that he wasn't Superman. But God is with him all the time. The Lord is with him. So how does God forge him? How does God make a holy man? If God is going to make a godly person out of you, how is he going to do it? 
Is it just that you see your need of Jesus, you ask Jesus into your heart, and now your life is better than your neighbor's and you have the last laugh? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And the people who convince each other of that fantasy will be disappointed with God. Because God doesn't change. Just because I misunderstand something, just because I don't know the gospel well, just because I am believing the little bit of fantasy that's been mixed with the gospel because I'm, I'm not well taught and I'm not practiced and I don't read my Bible and I'm not, I'm not in the word, I can go everywhere. I can be convinced of anything. And just because I'm convinced of something that God doesn't say is true doesn't mean that God is going to rescue me every time. Sometimes he's going to let me fall on my face. That, you know, you don't know about gravity, I promise you'll learn. As a small child, you'll learn about gravity. It, it's not going to change, and just because the roadrunner doesn't study gravity doesn't mean the roadrunner can hang out in the middle of, of the air like, like he can. I don't know. The coyote always fell. All right? So let's go back to 2 Kings 18. This is verse 9. It came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, that was in the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmazar, the king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years they took it, even to the sixth year of Hezekiah, that the ninth year of Hoshea um, uh, uh, in Hela and in Habor by the river Gozan and the uh, cities of the Medes. So he took all of the, uh, the people in the northern kingdom and he reassigned them somewhere else. He took them, most everybody died, the people who left were in exile, and they came and he replanted them somehow. Verse 12, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, that he would not hear them or do them. Okay, so it tells us why that Assyria took them. Here was Assyria, the wicked, being used in God's hand to chasten his own people as he warned them for hundreds of years. This is what's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You must believe me. It will. And they were like, yeah, right. Of course it's not. And they're gone. Assyria came in and conquered them, took them all, killed them all, impaled the king on a spike, took all everybody that was left and re replanted them somewhere else. And there was nobody in Samaria. There was no one in what you call Israel. Samaria and Israel is the same. When you get to Jesus' time and you see the woman in Samaria at the well, she was a descendant of these people who had a kind of a wacky religion, a wackly kind of God, kind of gold cow kind of religion. Didn't know anything, and Jesus had to tell her what, what was true. And it was to her that he came to, which was beautiful. This is now verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Shennacherib king, so that's the son of the other king, so the, the new son wants to be the big bully too, all right, so he's going to do the same as his dad. His, the new king, Kevasiria, came up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. So now let's pause. Now it's getting close. Every walled city in the country except Jerusalem is now taken, has fallen to the Assyrians. Now they're the only city left. Here's Hezekiah king who loves God, who's depending upon God, who's trusting God, he now knows that Israel is gone, and he now knows that all of the other cities in his country are now in exile. Do you see the crisis? Would that disturb you? You see people falling left, right, center, and you're like, I'm trusting God. What does that mean? What does that mean? If God were nice, he wouldn't have done this. If God were good, he wouldn't let this pain happen. 
He wouldn't let bad things happen to good people. That's the mythology of America. And here he's looking, and all of the other, all of the other, these are not Israel, these are not Israel now. This is Judah, and and he took them, and now they're they're gone. And now Hezekiah is in his walled city, and they haven't conquered it yet. Now remember, the temple is there, and the palace is there. It's the capital city, but they haven't conquered the capital. But all the other cities are gone. Okay, this is verse fourteen. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria in Lachish, saying, "I've offended." Return from me, that, that, uh, and whatever you put on me, I'll bear. And the king of Assyria appointed the Hezekiah king of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord, from the pillars which Hezekiah the king of Judah had overlaid, and gave it to the king of Assyria. Do you see what happened? He's by himself. And he said, go away from me. I'll give you anything you want. I'll give you anything you want. And he stripped the gold off of the doors of the temple. He took every penny out of his own treasury. He tries to scare the people who depend upon you. He gets into your mind. He gets into your head. He gets into the things that you are depending on that you need, your daily needs. And he makes you doubt God's goodness. So don't be deceived. We know the, the, the devices of the devil. That's 2 Corinthians. We know the devices of the devil. We're not, we're not surprised. Okay? So let's look at the first one, and then we'll come back and visit this again, probably at the end of October. We'll try to do it one more time. This is uh, verse 31 in 2 Kings 18. Hearken not to Hezekiah. This is... This is They've, they've, got, they've got the army around the, the, the walls, and you've got an emissary coming to the gates and standing up and shouting to the people sitting on the walls. And this is what he says. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria. Now, you might be scared of that. I tell you, the king of Assyria is scary, and he's no cartoon, and he really will slit your grandma's throat right in front of you. It happens. You must be scared of him in some ways, but not scared of him in all ways. You have to realize that God is bigger than he is, and God is bigger than you. And if you have run to him for refuge, he will protect you. Jesus will protect you. If you have run to the very one you've offended, the very one that should destroy you, you've run to him for refuge. He will not destroy you. You have, you have put yourself under the covert of his wings. He speaks for you. And if he has to destroy this entire universe to save you, he will. You must believe that. Even when the emissary is saying, thus saith the king of Assyria. It says, make an agreement with me by a present and come out to me. Then everyone will eat in his own vine and everyone his own fig tree and drink you every one of the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you to a land that's, that's not like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and of honey, that you may live and not die and hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuades you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. So here's Hezekiah, who's not only tr- troubled himself, but he has other people responsible that he's responsible for. And he must rely on God for everyone. And here is in loud voice, don't listen to him. 
Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him when he says God's going to prefer you. I'm going to take you to a good land, like this land, and you're going to live and not die, which I think is just a wicked, essentially, that is a slander, and I love how the Bible does this. That is a quote from God's law that says, Israel, follow me and live and not die. And here's the enemy that copies what God says and perverts it and twists it and said, come out and don't serve God and don't listen to him when he says he's going to protect you, that you may live and not die. He lies to you. And he lies to the people who are weaker than you. He hurts the ones who don't yet know for themselves how to trust God. And he's trying to wreck you. And what will happen is that crisis will either split you. If you are not confident in your faith, it will shatter you. And you'll go away from God. That will be the time that the tares stop looking like the wheat. That will be the moment that you can see when you have a false believer and you can see that you have a real believer. A real believer at that critical moment, that's awful and nobody likes the the sunrise on a day like that. That is the day when you go, no, I will trust God. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. That is the day that it splits. And when you split and you put your full confidence in God, you never knew that you, that you could do it. You never knew because you didn't know what your full confidence was. God allows you to know what your full confidence is. Then when you do it, God will rescue. And we're going to see it next time. Okay, I hope that was a blessing to you. It, did, it sure was me. I can feel the hair on the back of my neck raised up. <laughs>